Hey everyone, welcome to Useful to God. We are continuing our 30 Days in the Gospels Challenge. Remember, you can download a reading guide and find other resources for spiritual growth at usefultogod.com. And in this episode, we will be studying the Doubting Thomas passage in John 20. And this passage really does tie into a broader theme within the Gospel of John about belief and believing. And so I think it might be good just to start with that. I do. I think that's uh, that's exactly what isn't that the that's that is the place to start belief, right? <laughs> it's a good place to start. And so um, I'll, I'll take us all the way back to earlier in the gospel and just say this, you know, after Jesus cleanses the temple, uh, the Jews come to Jesus and they ask, uh, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So, you know, cleansing the temple would not have been something that most of the Jews would have applauded. You know, and they're pretty committed to this temple system. Um, they're pretty excited about the way it's operating and they're not seeing it as particularly problematic. And so Jesus is going to respond and he says that um, this temple uh, is going to be destroyed, but he's going to raise it again in three days. And John tells us that Jesus is referring to his own body as the temple. And what we really see in this brief account is that Jesus is going to symbolically condemn the current temple, which has become this house of trade, and he's going to take its place. He's now the locus of God's presence amongst the people. And so Jesus doesn't perform any particular miracle, but he points forward to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the request, the request for a sign to justify his actions uh, with regard to the temple uh, marks out an important theme in the Gospel of John. So Jesus offers or is asked to offer a sign uh, so that one group or another may believe in him or believe what he's doing. And in this case, Jesus's response to the Jews kind of inspires the belief of the disciples, but um, not so much other folks. <laughs> so when the disciples recall Jesus's words after the resurrection, they really their belief is strengthened. Yet many others don't believe Jesus. And all the signs in John's gospel really do demonstrate kind of a spectrum of belief. Um, there are those like the disciples who see the signs of Jesus, follow him and deepen their faith. And through the signs of Jesus's and Jesus's other works um, and their and Jesus's teachings, obviously, they come to know Jesus as the son of God who reflects the father to the world. But there's also a group who seem to believe the signs, but never really develop beyond a faith that no longer requires signs. So we see this probably in John six. Um, Jesus has fed the crowds who continue to follow him. And he recognizes that they're following him because they're getting food, but not because they have a particularly deep commitment to discipleship. And so he gives them a hard teaching um, that they are going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And, it, you know, the text tells us that many stop following him that day. And so, you know, we have the, these at least two groups, the group who really believe strongly and follow and are committed like the disciples. And then another group who tend to believe uh, they like the signs, they're interested, they, they kind of see all that Jesus is doing, and they're compelled to follow him until it gets too hard, and then their faith sort of shrivels up. And then there's a final group, sort of the other end of the spectrum to the disciples, who, despite the signs, just refuse to believe in Jesus. And so if we look at something like the interchange between Jesus and the Jews, um, after Jesus, is Jesus tells them that he and the Father are one, this is in John 10, 31 and 32. 
um, the Jews are going to pick up stones to stone Jesus. And Jesus says to him, look, I've shown you many good works. For which of them are you going to stone me? And then he goes on to tell them, um, you know, if I'm not doing what my father wanted me to do, then don't believe me. Um, but if I do those works, even if you don't believe in me, believe in the works. Right. And so there's this sense in which he's just challenging the Jews who refuse to believe in him. And they really re refuse to reckon with the works that he's doing. And so there's sort of a both and rejection of both Jesus and the signs he's performing. That's the spectrum of belief we really see in John's gospel. Yeah, um, the signs uh, that, um, you know, it, is it just, was, was it just for that time, or, or, or are people still looking for signs? No, I, I think probably people are still looking for signs, and I think, you know, I, I'm not one that's willing to deny some of the signs that um, we hear reported from other parts of the world, um, or even in America necessarily, but they're just more common in other parts of the world. And so I think God does still use signs. Uh, and, you know, the important part of John's gospel is not, hey, never ask for a sign or um, if you see a sign, don't believe it. Obviously, we need to be careful um, when we're looking at various miracles. You know, there are instances um, we see in Scripture, for instance, um, the book of Exodus, uh, the Egyptian magicians perform some of the signs that Moses performs as well. Obviously, they're not representing God in that context. And so we have, you know, you can't just look at a sign and go, oh, obviously this person's okay. Um, but I think the important part to remember in John's gospel is the degrees of faith. Um, the degrees of faith that we're looking at here are, range from a depth of understanding and deep commitment to who Jesus is and to following him. That would be the disciples and, and various others in the book of John. Then there's this intervening group who never quite trust Jesus, but they're always believing in the signs. And so these folks are folks who just aren't going to get back uh, to G They're not going to get, um, how do I put it? They're never going to come to understand who Jesus really, really is. Um, they're always going to reject who Jesus says he is. And instead, what they're going to do is they're always going to be looking for more signs, more signs, more signs, more signs. And then there's finally the people who just flat out reject Jesus, no matter what he does or what he says. And so that's a spectrum of belief that we're looking at in the Gospel of John. That's recording. Uh, hey, that is probably. Hey, Richard. I, I just think that that was very well put, that um, giving that those three different uh Ways that people uh, were looking for, uh, looking to Jesus, and looking to, to 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 kind of figure out who who Jesus is. There are people that really didn't want to figure out who Jesus is. Probably that's where the Pharisees kind of fell fell into. That's right. I mean, the Pharisees definitely are falling into that setting, and you know, all of the leaders of the Jews really do fall into that, whether it's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes probably would have been a subset of the Pharisees, but all of them are falling into this sort of setting. And I think that what we're what we're ultimately going to see throughout John's gospel um, are some people who are really grateful for like 
I look at somebody like, let's say, the uh, the lame man who Jesus heals. Uh, it's in John chapter five, and he doesn't appear to be particularly interested in being loyal to Jesus. Um, when questioned, uh, he tends to uh, blame Jesus for healing on the Sabbath as opposed to defend Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Whereas if we look at the man who was born blind and what Jesus does with him, that man uh, seems to come to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And even at the end of that narrative, um, bows down and worships Jesus. And so we see these differing perspectives and reactions to what Jesus is doing in the world and how he's doing it, which um, throughout the gospel really does provide some context once we get to John chapter 20 and this story about what is we affectionately call Doubting Thomas. Yeah, uh, and and I I do I I so much look to that story of the uh, of of the of the crippled man who is uh, at waiting at the at the gates of uh, uh, or near the pool of Bethesda, and uh, how uh, you know it's almost like you know he's how long has he been sitting there? We, they're talk, they're talking years, and Jesus. You know, this is this is his way of living. This is this is his. Uh, so he almost, he resents Jesus in in that way for healing him. Uh, it's not just because of this, the Sabbath. It's because hey, I've got to now. I got to find a job. You know, <laughs> that's right. I, I, and it's hard to tell. You know why people aren't believing in Jesus. It's hard to understand, in other words, you know, why one person has a reaction of deep faith that's going to be enduring and why someone else doesn't. And so, you know, the lame man in, in John 5, again, is a great example because um, he just doesn't seem, at the end of the day, he just does not seem like he's going to commit to Christ. Uh, whereas the, the man born blind, um, even in the face of being thrown out of the synagogue, um, you know, questioned by the Pharisees multiple times, um, ultimately being thrown out of the synagogue, never will say a word against Jesus and ultimately, like I said, ends up worshiping him. And so we have these differing responses. And it seems to me that what we're finding is is not that um, there's just some people with this capacity of faith and others that have none, but that there are just some people who God has given to Jesus to bring out of the world who are going to recognize the word that, that became flesh. Uh, and, uh, and these are the people who ultimately deeply believe in Jesus. Yeah. I, my, my favorite uh, line is, I mean, how many times has, did Jesus actually have to ask somebody, do you want to get well? Right. Yeah. We see this interaction with him at the, um, you know, the woman at the well, we see it with the lame, the lame man. Um, we see it with the man born blind. You know, a lot of his signs have to do with um, people getting better uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, even the resurrection of Lazarus, to some degree, I suppose, although he's not asking Lazarus whether he wants to get better. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, the point that John is trying to underscore here is that, um, we have to recognize not simply that Jesus is doing signs. We have to see that the signs that he is doing 
point to who he actually is. And that once we recognize who Jesus actually is, we're starting to see the light. And so even if we go back to something like the prologue of John's gospel, which is actually really crucial, I think, for understanding a lot of the dynamics of the gospel of John overall. But what we have to understand is that when John is beginning his gospel with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what God was. In other words, the word was uh, of the same nature of God, but still distinct from, you know, I think that the triunity of God is what John is, is actually hinting at here. You can distinguish between the word and the father. And so as we see this interplay between the Word and the Father throughout uh, the gospel, there is unity and distinction all at the same time. But beyond that, what we see that the Word does is that the Word is light and life. So at the beginning, the Word is bringing light into the world. It's shining light into darkness, and it brings up sort of these echoes of creation where the Word comes in and divides light from darkness. And it brings life. It it brings forth vegetation. It brings um, it brings forth animals and plant, you know, and and people. And then, as the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, that word is going to perform largely those same functions. That word is bringing light and life. In this case, it's bringing light, a revelation of who God is and what God is doing, a presentation of God's glory such that we have never seen, and life. They can come through faith by believing in that word, that word being Jesus. And so this continuity runs throughout the Gospel of John. It's actually a pretty interesting and kind of compelling portrayal of what's going on, that this word became flesh and dwelt among us is doing the same thing that it was really doing at creation, bringing light and life. So again, you know, here at Useful to God, we are in the midst of a 30 days in the Gospels challenge. You can find more about that and get a, a reading guide, actually, at usefultogod.com. And so I'd encourage you to head over to usefultogod.com, go download the reading guide, and get started on 30 days in the Gospels. Don't worry about, uh, you know, where you start or where you finish or whatever, because we're also recording all these episodes. They'll be available at oneplace.com as well as on, uh, you know, the normal podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, really wherever you get your podcasts. So if you've missed a few episodes, no problem. Just pull up the reading guide, start reading, find the episode that corresponds to the section that you're reading, and uh, you can listen along while you read through the Gospels in 30 days. You know, as we think about belief in John's Gospel, though, um, we ultimately have to come to good old Doubting Thomas. Um, the Doubting Thomas narrative is really interesting. I mean, we think of it as the Doubting Thomas epi- or narrative, right? But it, it actually performs a really crucial bridge um, between Jesus's resurrection and appearances to his disciples and the purpose of John's Gospels. And so as we kind of turn to, to Thomas and Jesus in John 20, um, let's, let's just recognize a couple of things. Um, first, we're, we're told that Jesus appeared to all the disciples except Thomas. And he does this while they're waiting together in a locked room. And he's going to show the disciples his hand and his side, and he's going to give them a really simple task. Uh, and this is recorded in uh, verse uh, chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
So he's really telling the disciples that they can't remain in a locked room forever. Like they're going to have to get out of here. They're going to have to go out. They're going to have to continue the work that Jesus has done. And then he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. And so now they are empowered to go and do the work. So what Jesus has told them he's going to do earlier in the farewell discourse, which is send the helper, the Holy Spirit to them, he actually does in chapter 20. Now, Thomas is ultimately going to rejoin this group of disciples and they tell him that Jesus appeared to them. And Thomas is kind of like, nope, not believing that, guys. I don't care what you say. Um, this is crazy talk. Unless I see it for myself, unless I can put my finger in the mark of the nails on his hand and you know, place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And so here we have Thomas, one of Jesus's core disciples and followers, who is expressing unbelief and unwillingness to believe. And so Thomas doesn't exactly require a sign, per se. Um, you know, Jesus's appearance uh, to the 12 disciples is not technically called a sign in John's gospel. But he is going to demand a tangible experience with the risen Christ. He's unwilling to accept the word of the other disciples as compelling evidence of Jesus's resurrection. So the disciples first attempt at proclaiming Jesus raised from the dead to one of their own essentially fails. Right. That had to be encouraging to them. Um, Jesus is sending them out to the whole world and they can't even convince their own guy that Jesus showed up and is actually resurrected. <laughs> um, uh, kind of a rough start. But Jesus is going to ultimately return eight days later, and Thomas has a chance to uh, have that sort of tangible interaction with Jesus. And when he does, he confesses, my Lord and my God. And there's a lot of different ways to understand my Lord and my God. Um, some people just say it's like, oh, goodness me, it is really Jesus. You know, sort of this strange exclamatory relation. But it's hard to believe that a devout Jew would use these words in that kind of a context. And so probably what we should make as, you know, of Thomas's confession is that this is an act of worship. It's a recognition of who Jesus is. He is now Thomas's Lord and God. And it sums up just a number of themes in the Gospel of John. You know, throughout the Gospel, Jesus has told his disciples that he and his father are one. Um, John's proclaimed that the word was what God was in the prologue. And so now we have Thomas's confession, and he's going to reflect the theology of the whole book. So Jesus is Lord and God. But as profound as Thomas's sort of revelation is here, um, Jesus acknowledges it, but not without some qualification. And Jesus basically says, you know, you had to see to believe. Um, but there's a lot of people who aren't going to be able to see yet will believe. And those people are blessed. So he says in verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this seems to me to be the point of the Doubting Thomas narrative, the point of John including it. Uh, because what we what we see then in, you know, the next sort of verses in John's Gospels is generally referred to as John's purpose statement. And it reads like this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have a life in his name. And so what I think the Doubting Thomas narrative is really doing is it is in a final encouragement, right? Using Jesus's own words, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Uh, I think is an encouragement for those people who are reading the Gospel of John to believe. 
that they don't need to see Jesus. They don't need to have this tangible experience like Thomas does, right? Thomas's belief comes through this tangible experience, and that's great. And Jesus doesn't diminish that necessarily. What he's really saying to Thomas is, there will be many who cannot see me, and yet will still believe in me. And that is something to be excited about. And so I think, you know, those who read John's gospel still have the opportunity to believe. And we do it by reading about all the signs Jesus did and learning about his teaching. We get to see Jesus through the gospels. So that to me is where we end up with this idea of doubting Thomas and his connection to John's understanding and belief. And then uh, where do we take that in our own, uh, in, in our own belief system? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously there's two ways to take it. You know, if, if you've already accepted Christ, um, the Gospel of John is one of these books that you can always go back to and get it, find encouragement that's going to strengthen your faith, right? I think that um, belief in multiple perspectives in the Gospel of John is available. And so we are the folks who have opted to follow Jesus with a, a pretty heavy commitment and John's gospel is constantly an encouragement that will allow us to re-up on that commitment, to strengthen that commitment, and to really reinforce what we believe about who Jesus is. If you haven't accepted Christ, the gospel of John is going to show you who Jesus is. And that's really what you should be looking for as you read through the gospel of John. Who is this guy? Is this guy who he says he is? Is he really shining light in life, or is he not? And so that is the sort of decision that John's gospel is asking everyone who reads it to make. Do you believe who Jesus is or not? That's basically it. So, yeah, I mean, I I think uh, overall, you know, we've kind of come to the end of the gospel of John here. Um, Chapter 20 uh, marks the end of John's gospel. Um, Obviously, John wrote other things in the New Testament, uh, but ultimately, for the next few episodes, we're going to move into the Gospel of Matthew. And so um, if you're just started reading um, some of the, you know, gospel through the Gospels, um, you know, you can find that resource guide at usefulgod.com. Um, but you should just, you know, walk through this at a pace that you're comfortable with. And remember that, um, you know, you can start wherever you like. Um, I'd encourage you to start at the beginning of one of the Gospels, and you can find some other recordings and different teachings about the various go- about various Gospel passages at one place at usefulgod.com or wherever else you can find your podcasts. And obviously, we'll be back on KLTT uh, every Monday. So um, that's kind of what we're doing on Useful to God right now, the 30 Days in the Gospels Challenge. So check out usefulgod.com for more information. That's great. Um, thank you, James, and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing this uh, this journey. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care, everybody.